Uh, take your Bible, please, and open up to the book of 2 Kings. Would you do that, please? 2 Kings, chapter 2. We have a very interesting story here for us. 2 Kings, chapter 2. Second Kings chapter 2, and can I invite you to stand once more, and we'll read a couple verses, only two verses, make a comment, and we'll have a word of prayer, then you can be seated again. Uh, verses number 9 and 10, would you read those out loud with me now, please, let's go. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee, before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Now this is an interesting story. This is jam-packed with some excitement that we're going to look at. But let me ask you, before we go to prayer, have you ever wanted something from the Lord? Have you ever prayed for something? I mean, you wanted it really bad. It wasn't just kind of a casual, yeah, yeah, yes, I could take it, I could leave it, but you really wanted something. Have you ever, have you ever had a time like that in your life? Where you really wanted something, and maybe you felt, oh, I'm not sure I can live without it. And so you prayed earnestly, but along the line, you give up. You quit praying. Has that ever happened to you? where you started praying for something, and then find you quit. Has that ever happened? It happens to many of us, maybe all of us, I'm not sure. And this may be one of the major reasons why we don't get what we ask for, is because we quit. You have not because you ask not. But I did ask, but you quit. You see, it's ask and ask and ask until you receive, receive, receive. <laughs> so we're going to look at this... Uh, Amazing story here, but let's have a word of prayer first. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would instruct our hearts now from the lives of Elijah and Elisha and this amazing true story that happened. Wow, we would thrill if we could have been anywhere near these two men and observing what was happening. For indeed, a great, mighty thing happened. Now, Lord, speak with our hearts today and challenge us, Lord. Challenge us for great things. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, uh, we have two heroes in the story here. Um, Elisha, whose name means God is my salvation. That's a pretty good name. That's a pretty cool name. To have God as my salvation. He was a farmer. That's what he was. He was a farmer before he got hooked up with Elijah. And while he was farming, busy, God called him. He felt called to full-time service. Leave farming and enter my service, says the Lord. And so he came on board as Elijah's assistant. Now that in itself is a very precious, cherished position. Imagine being the personal assistant to Elijah. Hmm? That's quite a, quite a job. And he held that job for seven or eight years, give or take approximately. 
But now Elijah comes to the end of his earthly life. As you know, he didn't have it so easy in life. And he had battles. And finally, it was a woman's letter. Uh, a letter from a lady that got him all discouraged. And it was Jezebel. Now, she was no ordinary lady. She was a real piece of work. But boy, did she wield the power. And I think she had Ahab, her husband, wrapped around her little finger. So anyhow, she was all upset for the victory that God had given through Elijah. And so she wrote a letter. Oh, you dirty rat, she said. And this, of course, you have to know Hebrew to understand what she really said. Oh, I'm going to kill you a million times, she said. You, you're... How does she put it there? The gods do so to me if it, by this time tomorrow, you know, you're not dog meat or something like that. So Elijah gets this letter and his countenance fell. And I'm telling you. And by the way, here's a little tip. I've been in the ministry now 40 years. And there's something that I've learned by experience. And that is uh, after a a hard day's preaching and victories and people come forward at the altar, you have to be very careful because you're very susceptible to the Elijah syndrome. And it can happen. Uh, a text, an email, a word spoken by someone as they walk out the door, someone hands you a letter, you know, your best just to wait, wait 24 hours, whatever. Get, you know, back on your feet. Catch your breath. Get your strength back before you look and see what it is. Now, maybe it's a blessing, but sometimes it's not. And sometimes, you know, Mrs. McGillicuddy just half has to tell you, you know, what she thought of your sermon or something like that. And that's the last thing you need. So, poor old Elijah, he got this letter from Mrs. McGillicuddy, I mean from uh, Jezebel. And uh, he went into the, the pit of despair. And so he thought, oh, life is not worth it. It's better for me to die. That's what he was saying. So he was really depressed. So God fed him and gave him sleep and woke him up and fed him again and gave him sleep. You know the story. And then anyhow, uh, essentially, Elijah's earthly ministry was coming to an end. And so God had Elijah... Uh, take Elisha with him and we have here the story of they went to several places in chapter 2 uh, verse 1 it says Elijah went with Elisha Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal and Elijah said unto Elisha tarry here in verse 2 I pray thee for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel and Elisha said unto him as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth I will not leave thee. And so they went down to Bethel. Well, they, uh, they went to Bethel, and then they went to Jericho, and they came to the Jordan River, and each time Elijah gives Elisha a chance to back out. And each time Elisha basically answers the same thing. As thy soul liveth, I'm not leaving. I'm not running away. No, not me. So, um, very interesting, very interesting story. They cross over the Jordan. You remember how Elijah took his mantle and slapped the waters? Remember reading this? The waters parted. Would you not have liked to have been there and witnessed that one? 
Wow. Man. And so they get through, and then the waters come back, and then on they go till we find them here in verses 9 and 10. And so here was Elisha's final moments with his boss, Elijah. And Elisha would not leave him. Now why was that? Why didn't he leave him? Why didn't he just let him go across the Jordan? Or why didn't he just let him go on to Bethel by himself? Why? Because Elisha wanted something. And he wanted it so much that nothing, nothing was going to stop him. And Elisha knew that this was going to be his last chance. I don't know um, if this really sank into uh, Elisha, but in chapter 2, verse 1, it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a, a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, how much of that did Elisha know? I don't know. But something inside him, maybe the Holy Spirit was telling him, this is it, kid. If you want to get that blessing, now God's called you to full-time ministry, and you've been working with the greatest preacher on earth for seven, eight years. You're not going to have much longer. If you want to get that blessing, you'd better not quit. And so I'm just maybe reading into the, the, uh, the text here, but I think that Elisha somehow knew this was it. And this was his last chance to get it. Now, we've got other examples of that in the Bible. For example, we have Ruth, who um, wouldn't leave Naomi. Remember that? Whithersoever thou goest, I will go. Remember that? And Ruth told her, go back, go back to your people. Marry again. You know, I don't have any more sons left. And then she said to Naomi, I'm not leaving you, sweetheart. Wherever you go, I'll go. And where you die, I'll die. Right? That's what Ruth told to Naomi. Of course, then we have also in the New Testament a blind man hearing Jesus come through. This was in Jericho as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time. And if the blind man had said, oh, I'll catch him next time, <laughs> he'd still be blind to this day. <laughs> a little joke there. But the blind man knew this was it. Something inside him told him, you have to, you have to be vocal. You can't be silent. Don't listen to the crowd. The crowd's telling them, shut up, shut up. This is the master. Don't bother him. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And it just made him cry out the more. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And then, of course, we have the story of the, the widow and the unjust judge. And she would go to him and go to him, and he kept rebuffing her and putting her off and telling her no. And finally, she, she would not, she would not, she would not be put off. And she finally got what she was after, right? In the case of the widow and the unjust judge. Sometimes we see this played out in modern life when a young man sees a, a young lady, the girl of his dreams, and he says, I, boy, I want her, I want her. And he goes after her and she's not interested and he, he goes after her, brings her flowers and brings her candy and he serenades her with his guitar, his friend's guitar, and he can't even play. And uh, all of his mind and heart and soul and strength, he goes after her until finally one day she catches him. And that's often the story. There's actually an interesting story, true story about a, uh, a young Bible college uh, man who attended the East Texas Bible College in the late 1940s. 
and he felt God was calling him to be a pastor of a church. Now, you say, what's so unusual about that? The unusual thing is that he could hardly speak. He had a speech impediment, and it was so bad. Something like this. And he was going to be a pastor of a church. And so, uh, after a couple of weeks uh, on campus there, first year, as a freshman, first year, uh, he's standing beside his friend and, and he sees a girl uh, that really ca caught his eye. And he said to his friend, Marry her? <laughs> his friend laughed. He said, how can you? You can't even talk. And watch. <laughs> so he went up to her. And uh, she looked at him and he said, She hadn't a clue. She said, what are, what are you talking about? And he repeated himself. And she still didn't know what he was saying. So she said, whatever, you're in, whatever you want, I'm not interested in. Goodbye. And she turned and walked away. And his friend was back there observing the whole thing. He went back to his friend. And he laughed. And he said, she won't even go out with you. And uh, he said to his friend, said I was going to marry her. <laughs> and so what he did was he went back to his dormitory and stood in front of a mirror and started practicing the words, would you go out with me? And you can see how this took time. And for two weeks, every day, as much time as he could possibly spend in front of the mirror, he was practicing, would you go out with me? Would you go go and then got a little better. Would you would you go go out? And then it got a little better. Would would you go out out with me? And it got better. Would would you go out with me? And it got better. Would you go out with me? And it got better. Would you go out with me? And finally he had it down right. He went up to her and said, Would you go out with me? She said, You can talk. He said, No, 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 that's all I can say. But when she found out that he spent two weeks practicing that one phrase, then she said yes. And she, she went out with him. And over the course of the, uh, the years in Bible college, they became sweethearts. And they married. And he graduated. And he became a pastor of a church. Isn't that interesting? True story. <laughs> Boy, I was encouraged when I heard that. And uh, in verse uh, 9 here, we have uh, Elijah finally saying to Elisha, says, what do you want? Only he didn't say that. He said, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken from thee. Okay, Elisha, you wouldn't leave me there at Gilgal. You wouldn't leave me at Bethel. You wouldn't, you wouldn't leave me when we cross the Jordan. What do you want? What is it that you want? What do you want? And here we go. Elisha answers him. And he says, and I have these words underlined in my Bible. I suggest you do it too. Let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. 
Now what did Elijah answer when Elisha said, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me? What, what, what possible answer could Elijah have, have given to Elijah? Oh, that little thing? Oh, is that all you want? Oh, why didn't you ask sooner? Hmm? Now, understand this, that Elijah was the greatest miracle-working man of God on the face of God's earth. There was no one that could, could come anywhere near him. He stood head and shoulders easily above all the other holy men in the land. No one had the power upon him that, that Elijah, Elijah had. He was the greatest of the great. Now, this is interesting why Elisha would, would say, would ask what he, he asked. Why didn't he just say, let thy power be upon me. Let thy spirit, whatever. But he didn't say. He, he asked actually for a double portion. A double portion. What was he thinking? This was the greatest miracle worker the world had ever seen. He performed incredible miracles and a lot of them. And here's Elisha asking for two times that. What was in his head? What was he thinking? Now in the Bible we do read about double portions. The firstborn was often given a double portion of the family uh, blessing and inheritance there. You say, why is that? Because when dad passed on, then the firstborn son took it upon himself to cover all of the funeral costs and look after mom and all of the other things that need to be looked after and for that he needed a double portion. You see? Well, Elisha knew what he was asking. He wasn't being selfish. He wasn't being a, a stupid kid or something. He knew exactly. It wasn't a foolish request. He knew exactly what he was asking. You see, Elisha believed that there were yet many more victories to be won for the Lord there in Israel. Elisha knew the score. And Elisha knew God was calling him in a full-time service to be the next man of God. And the way he figured it, he was going to need twice the miracle working power that Elijah had in order to, to serve God. And he wanted in on the action. You know, uh, Jabez, you read about the prayer of Jabez? Yes? Okay, somewhere between those two responses. Yes, the prayer of Jabez. Jabez, he knew in his heart that uh, the promised land was all God's will. And he was back there in those early days uh, of helping to conquer the promised land. And he figured that he could accomplish so much more for God if God would bless him. And that's why he prayed in First Chronicles 4. He said, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that thine hand might be with me and that thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Now, uh, Jabez didn't ask it out of selfish reasons. He was a freedom fighter. He was part and parcel of those conquering the promised land. And in order to conquer the promised land and give God the glory, he needed this big blessing from God. 
That's why he prayed for it and prayed by faith. And God gave it to him. Jacob was wrestling with the pre-incarnate Christ. We think it was the pre-incarnate Christ. In Genesis 32. And you remember he said, I will not let thee go except what? Thou what? Bless me. Thou bless me. Yeah. And so he had been in this long night of struggle. And so what happened? God blessed him. And God changed his name from Jacob, which means like a, a heel grabber, sort of a cheater. He grabbed his brother's heel. To the name Israel, which means the prince with God. Now Elisha, Elisha knew all this. And Elisha knew God was calling him to be the next prophet in Elijah's place. And Elisha wanted to be the best he could be. And he knew that it was going to require great power. Power that he didn't have. And so he asked for a double portion. He had it all figured out. He had it all thought through. And I'm sure that in those last months, maybe the last year or two even, of Elijah's life, that Elisha was formulating his prayers and his plans, because I, I think he knew that he was the next man up. And so, when came the time, he asked for a double portion. But what if Elijah had, uh, had said to him, uh, Oh, a double portion of my spirit? Oh, no problem. Easy peasy. No problemo. But that's not what he said. What did Elijah answer back to Elisha? It's in verse 10. Take a look. And he said, what? He said what? And he said, altogether, Thou hast asked a hard thing. A hard thing. Well, that's interesting. A hard thing. Hard for who? Pardon me, hard for whom? I want to get that right. Was it, was it going to be a hard thing for God? Huh? Elisha says, I want a double portion of thy spirit upon me. And Elisha, Elijah answered, Oh boy, God's going to have a tough time with this one. You've asked a hard thing of God. Is that what Elijah was saying? A hard thing for who? For God? Yes, no. No? No. Why? Because God has all... Say it. Power. 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 He has all the power. He can do anything, everything he wants. There's nothing too hard for God. So, it's not hard for God. Oh, maybe it's hard for Elijah. That was asked, that was asked a hard thing. How am I possibly going to be able to give you a double portion of my spirit? I'm not even sure I have a single portion and you want a double portion. That's a hard thing for me. You've asked me a hard thing. Is that what Elijah was saying? Probably not, because it wasn't Elijah doing the giving, right? It wasn't in his ability to be able to give. And so that only leaves one person left. Who? Elisha. Thou hast asked a hard thing. Elijah answers back to Elisha, Wow, huh. you've asked a hard thing for yourself. You realize what you've asked? Whoa, are you sure about this? Have you thought this through? 
This, this is not going to be, you know, a cakewalk for you. You've asked. You see, this is something we have to come to grips with, folks, is that with great authority comes great responsibility. And with great power, sometimes also comes great trials with that power. That's what we have here in front of us here. The blessings come with a price tag. Blessings come with a price tag. Now let's take our Bible and look at the Gospel of Mark. We'll go to Mark. Gospel of Mark. We have here in chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, We have here um, James and John in verse 35, sons of Zebedee. And they come unto him, unto Jesus, in verse 35, saying, uh, Master, we would that thou wouldst do it, that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall de desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and one on thy left hand in thy glory. Verse 38, But Jesus said unto him, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now what Jesus was saying is, Fellas, you don't realize there's a price tag. Can you go through the incredible sufferings? I'm going to go through incredible Can you follow me through those incredible sufferings? Verse 39, They said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized, with all ye shall be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it was prepared. So I don't know how they <laughs> thought about that. All right, you'll get to suffer, but I can't promise you that you're going to get what you've asked for. Now we'll find out anyhow when we get to glory. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, and we have here uh, the, when Saul got saved, fell off the horse, right? He heard Jesus speaking to him, I am Jesus. Anyhow, he gets saved, and we uh, pick up the story. Ananias is told here to go and, and restore his sight. Uh, Ananias complains in verse 13, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And verse 15, the Lord said unto him, Go thine way, for he is a chosen vessel. Bear my name before Gentiles and kings. Verse 16, watch. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Apostle Paul. Wow, Apostle Paul! That man of miracles and faith the guy who wrote all those books of the New Testament. Wow, wow, what a story, yeah. What a story. But with the blessings come a price tag. Now, do you think um, as Paul went through some of those trials, he was saying, ouch, ouch, ouch? Probably because he was human. 
And no one likes to go through persecution and suffering. No one enjoys that. But it's all over for Paul now. You think he regrets any of those sufferings and persecutions? Nope. Not a, not an ounce. Not a one. Not a lick. Uh, there's many examples in the Bible of men and women who went through suffering but got great blessings. We see that they're connected. That's what I'm trying to say. Our friend uh, Elisha turned to Elijah in answer to Elijah's question, what do you want? Well, here's what I want. I want a double portion of your spirit on me. And Elijah says, you poor guy, don't you remember some of the stuff I've been through? Don't you know what's waiting for you? I mean, if even if you get a single portion of what's on me, you want a double portion? And apparently Elisha said, yep. You know, we're praying for the 104 building. What do you want the 104 building for? So that we can do greater things than we ever thought possible. We want to bring forth more fruit for God than ever before. With the 104 building, we believe that we can reach the whole city. The whole city will instantly uh, be listening to our story. How in the world did Grace Baptist Church get that building? Here's how. A great prayer answering God. It'll drive them to our website. Hopefully, hundreds of thousands will have access to the gospel. We'll be able to reach the city. More than that, we'll be able to take on more missionaries. You can say, how many? Maybe 200 more missionaries. How does that sound? How does that grab you? Be able to take on 200 more missionaries to help reach the world. That'll put our church close to 300 missionaries. Our little donkey stop of a church. We're just a little whistle stop is all we are. We're a small church. 300 missionaries to reach the world. That is beyond our power, isn't it? Absolutely it is. It's the great power of Almighty God. Also, we'll be able to build the greatest Bible college experience on earth and make it free for the men and women who will come and train. And we can't do that yet, so don't hold your breath. Okay? But God gives us the 104 building. You say, how, how is the 104 building going to help? Because I'm asking God to make the building ours. O-U-R-S, ours. O stands for owned. I don't want to owe money on it. I don't want to run to the bank and get down on my knees and grovel to the bank loan manager. Please, 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 please lend us millions of dollars. You can have our soul. You can have our blood. I don't want that. I want God to supply it. I want him to give it to us. So we own it. That's the O. The U stands for upgraded. That building needs millions of dollars of upgrades. Where's that money going to come from? The same person who gives us the building will give us the monetary resources to upgrade it. And the R stands for rented out. O-U-R. Owned, upgraded, rented out. Lord, make it ours. Maybe it'll be 25 tenants, maybe 50 tenants, maybe less, maybe more, who take over two-thirds of that building, leaving us with one-third, one wing, the east wing. We'll take the east wing, the center section, the west wing, we'll rent it all out. The income in what we would call profit will be a minimum of a million and a half dollars a year. With that money, we can build the greatest Bible college and make it free. We can put in 50 dorms, dormitories, you know, in that place. 
We can look after all of the visiting missionaries, pastors, evangelists come to town. We can pick them up from the airport. We can house them. We can feed them. We can give them transportation. We can meet all of their needs as they're you know, going from church to church. We can do that. And we can do a whole lot more because of that building. But make no mistake, there's going to be a price tag. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be times when the building's not done yet. And pastor, we still need $5 million. And where is that money going to come from? Well, it's going to come from our knees is where it's going to come from. When we get on our knees and we ask God, Lord, you're the one who gave us the building. You're the one who's given us the money so far. We still need five more million. Lord, please give us the money. That's where it's going to come from. Make no mistake, there will be hardships. Hey, going to Bible college. Hey, let's go to Bible college. Yes! Oh, the glory. Where do you go to college? I go to Bible college. Oh, well, amongst the church folks, anyhow. Wow, you're a Bible college student. Oh, I got a question for you. <laughs> Get in line. Get in line. The problem is that it comes with a price tag. That it comes with hardships. And it's called midterms. Midterms? What? You mean there's exams? <laughs> yeah. You want a double portion of Elijah's spirit? Oh, you've asked a hard thing. Back in 1813, a 24-year-old man, a Baptist, named Adoniram Judson, felt that God was calling him to be a missionary over to Burma, if you know where that is. And so to make a long story short, he followed God's calling. He became a missionary to Burma. And he became a famous missionary, and he affected Burma so much so that even today, they're still feeling the influence from Adoniram Judson, starting back in 1813. You say, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, wait a minute. Few of us realize that he asked a hard thing of the Lord. That was a hard, hard thing. Hard for who? Hard for God? No, not hard for God. Hard for Elijah? No, no, Elijah's long gone. Well, hard for who? Hard for Adoniram Judson. You see, he gets over there, and there's no converts. And for the first six or seven years, something like that, there were no converts. And so his sending church, you know, back home in, in jolly old England, you know, they're wondering, what's going on over there? What's going on? What's going on over there? No converts. What's happening? Well, I don't know, I'm witnessing, but no one's getting saved. And he's getting pressure from, we'll call it head office. And people are getting discouraged with Adoniram Judson. And what's more, Adoniram Judson gets arrested and gets accused of being a British spy. And he's thrown in jail. And he almost dies in jail. In fact, uh, they, were, they gave him the death sentence. They were going to put him to death. And if it wasn't for the fervent, ardent prayers of his wife and some other Christians, he would have died. But after 21 months in prison, they finally released him. The poor guy, malnourished and sick and everything, he had to put up with all that. 
That's not all. But his beloved wife died. Then his children died. And he was left all alone. All alone. He wrote in his diary, he said, If I had not felt certain that every trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. He married again. She died. Four years later, or, or shortly after, anyhow, he remarried. And then uh, Judson himself died. 61 years of age. We call that young. That's not old. That's still young. But he died of lung disease. He had it hard. But you ask him now, Adam Judson, you've been in heaven now all these years. Was it worth it? What do you think he'd say to you? Well, if you don't know, then wait until you see him, and then you can ask him. But I kind of think he would answer yes. We have Elisha here asking Elijah this impossible, insane, outrageous request from the greatest miracle worker that the world had ever seen to that point. Uh, he said, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And Elijah answers him and says very plainly, very right up front, you've asked a hard thing. Elisha, you can have it. You really can. It can be yours. But great things done for God come with a price tag. You have to understand that. Now it's not recorded anywhere in scripture here, but I have a feeling that Elisha probably answered something like, that's okay, Elijah. I've thought it through. I've prayed a lot about it. I realize from observing your life, and, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay. I can, I can pay the price. I kind of think he did something like that. You ever think what your life could be if God gave you a double portion of power and blessing? How would that change your life? Hmm? Maybe you'd have incredible power for soul winning. Maybe for some of you, incredible power to preach and move vast audiences. Maybe for some of you, it'll be incredible power for deeper understanding of the Bible, deeper than anyone around you. Maybe for some of you, it'll be incredible prayer power that you can get alone with God in your prayer closet and you can move the hearts of men. You can move churches to revival. You could move nations closer to God because of your prayer ministry and your prayer closet. Perhaps for some of you it might mean the power to support missionaries like more and more and more missionaries, which is really what we need. Maybe for some of you it would be the power to teach a Sunday school class uh, or to help start a, uh, another ministry within the church. Maybe for some of you it would be power to serve the Lord in unseen ways, effective but unseen ways, and that requires power. You know, it's not hard for God to give you the power. It's not hard at all. For God, let's say it's easy peasy. It's no problem for God to give you the power. It's going to be hard for you because there will be hardships. 
And yes, Elisha did get twice the power as we follow through his life in the Bible. He actually performed twice the amount of miracles that Elijah did. When you count them up, he performed twice the miracles. But he also had twice the hardness. Now, Elijah got a whirlwind chariot ride to heaven. Elisha died a hard death. He got old and he got sick and feeble. And he died a hard death. But was it worth it? I think the answer is yes. A million times over, yes. You see, you only get one chance in life, right? You only get one shot, one chance to go around in life. That's it. You get one chance. And when it's over, it's over. There's a thing called the divine human cooperative. And God will work with you as you are willing to be worked with God. And he will pour his power into your life as you are willing to receive it. I don't know anyone else who would have gone to Elijah and asked for it twice. Whatever you got, I want two times. I don't know of anyone. I'm amazed even that Elisha did it here. I don't think that I'd have the, the gall to do that to Elijah. But Elisha did. And so you get one life <clears throat> only one life to do something great for God. Don't waste it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Uh, just before I pray, I want to remind you that a famous missionary to China, C.T. Studd, he's the one that said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that being true, it means that everything else will burn up as if it's made of wood, hay, and stubble. So before I pray, do you want your life to count for something? Do you want God to use you to do something great, to serve Him in a great way? Well, if yes, then you're going to need a double portion. You're going to need a double portion from God. Don't be content with anything less. It's a hard thing. It is a hard thing. But then one day, you'll hear the words of Jesus, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much for these Bible college students. And I'm so humbled and proud to be here with them. And I just know that you're going to use them to do wonderful things for you, Lord. And I pray that you'd encourage them to do so. Don't let the devil discourage them. Please protect them. Their comings and goings, their risings and sitting downs. Protect them and bless them in all of their studies. And bless them in their exams. And encourage them with little miracles along the way that just assure them that you are there present in their lives. Give them victory over uh, despondency and discouragement and depression. Give them victory over temptations and things of the world. Give them victory over Satan's traps and his deceitfulness. Give them eyes for Jesus. Give them a heart of faith and love to reach out and to say, give me a double portion, Lord. Bless the students. Bless the college and the teachers for your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.